Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. My name is Tiffany Ketchum. Here with me is my co-host and husband of 19 years. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot last time to say happy anniversary. Oh, thank you. Happy anniversary to you. Yeah, so we've been married 19 years, and it's been a really amazing journey. Yes, it has. It's been wonderful. Not to say it hasn't been hard times. True. But it definitely has gotten better together. That's right. <laughs> It's hard to believe this, but we're actually on episode number 40. The 4-0. We are reaching our prime time. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean we're kind of getting over the hill here? Like no. everything should be downhill from this episode on? No, I, I have a feeling we have a lot more episodes. <laughs> yeah, I think we're probably in our maybe adolescent <laughs> years oh, I don't, here. Really? Well, I mean, you know, we're... I feel like we're kind of still like... Maybe teenager? Little children. Should we say teenager? I was thinking much smaller. Oh, wow. Okay. Man, that means we're going to have a lot more episodes. <laughs> well, I mean, we're on Abraham. <laughs> well, that's a good point. Going through the timeline. That's a good Bible, point. So maybe that's why I feel that way. We are in our inf- infancy stages. <laughs> so, yeah, we have been uh, in the story of Abraham. Um, the scriptures say that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness so the last couple episodes, we've been honing in on the idea of righteousness being made right, and that this happens when we have faith, when we believe in Jesus and his life on earth, his death, but also that he was raised from death and is still alive today. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came into the same human sickness of sin and has been healed from this sickness that we find ourselves in. In sin that is leading to death, but he has found a way out. He has been cured within himself, and he is our cure. So our faith and belief in Jesus is what will make us right, not only in the future, but also in the here and now. Mm. Man, keep going. You're preaching the gospel <laughs> over there. Just giving a little... Uh, a little quick summary. Summary. Yeah. So, yeah, but because we trust in his cure and his life, we can know that he can bring us into our own healing and fullest life. Mm. So that's kind of what we've been talking about. Mm. So where are we going today? So we're going to just focus on just one word in Romans 4 because it's kind of a pivotal word, and it often gets translated as credited, or, or in some translations it's imputed, and it has to do with this issue of righteousness and how we are made righteous by God. So the previous episode, we talked a lot about righteousness and what that means and how it's not just, you know, a promise to believe or even just a law to obey, but it's a Jesus redefines righteousness as a new humanity, as becoming something that God created us to be. And Jesus, of course, has become everything that God created us to be, and so he's therefore the standard of righteousness. So the question becomes, you know, if Jesus is righteous, well, that's good for him, but what about us? And so Romans 4 kind of unpacks a little bit about how that righteousness 
intersects us and how we relate to it and how uh, God involves us in that righteousness that Jesus alone has. Okay, let's let's jump into it. Yeah, so we're going to go from Romans 4, 1 through 8, I believe. And so we read some of this last week's, but we're again, we're just going to focus on one word here. Starting with verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified or made righteous by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him, there's that word, to him for righteousness. Now, again, some translations say imputed, some say credited, and it's, it's somewhat unfortunate. Uh, really, the translators of this passage sort of take some interpretive license in that they kind of give us a translation or a paraphrase, if you will, because the term, the Greek word that's used here is logizomai, and it doesn't really mean to like make a deposit into someone's account. So like the, the way this term often gets explained is like, you know, we have a bank account and we're bankrupt, you know, or maybe we, we need to have a million dollars in our bank account, but we only have $10 or you know, maybe we're overdrawn <laughs> and we have a negative balance and we have late fees, you know. Yeah, we need a credit we, we, to help yeah, us out. That's right, yeah. And so here comes Jesus. He accrues a full million dollars in his account. <laughs> and then he makes a deposit into our account, which then makes us righteous. And so that when God, you know, goes in and types our username and password in, to our bank account, and it comes up as us having a million dollars in our account, then God now somehow treats us as if he would treat Jesus. So just to clarify, that's kind of how sometimes we talk about it. Yeah, that's how we sometimes talk about it, and we frame it, and it's all based off this word logizomai, which often gets translated as imputed or credited. And we kind of run with that in our present economy, our, the way we understand finances in our world. Uh, but as we'll see in a couple verses here, that uh, you, you really can't, you can't understand it that way in this passage. And instead of God kind of making a deposit from Jesus's account into our account, it's actually talking more about how God perceives us how God chooses to see us in relation to in relationship to something that we do. So, let's let's go on to verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are counted as grace. I'm sorry, are not counted as grace, but as debt. Okay, well here that word counted there again is the word logizomai. And what Paul's saying is that when somebody works for something, when they get their money, nobody sees that money um, as a gift. He's talking about how you see the paycheck. Uh, how, how do we recognize it? How do we interpret it? How do we see it or perceive that check? And he says nobody, nobody sees the check you know, as a gift but as a debt. 
And so again, this is about how you see something. It's about how you interpret it or recognize it. Then in verse 5, he says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him, and that we're talking about God here as opposed to Jesus, but, on, but to him who does not work, but believes on him or God, who justifies or makes righteous the ungodly, his faith is perceived is seen, is interpreted, is reckoned. This is that term logismi. I was going to say, mine says credited. <laughs> right, yours says credited. So it, it, it brings up that bank transaction metaphor. But he's saying that his faith is seen or perceived as righteousness. And th- th- this is in direct parallel with the story of Abraham. So if you go back to Genesis 15, like there's no financial transaction in the story of Abraham. It's really there a promise has been made. Abraham is struggling with the promise. God reminds him of his promise. He assures him he's going to be faithful and make that promise true. And then Abraham believes God and it says that Abraham is seen as being righteous. Well that's because at that time in order to be righteous in that relationship, God just required Abraham to trust him. And what Paul is saying is that our, the way that we are made righteous is very similar to the way that Abraham was made righteous. God has made a promise that he will make right, he will rectify, he will transform the ungodly into, into a state of godliness. He will transform the unrighteous into a state of righteousness. In other words, he will take something that is dead and make it alive again. He will fix everything that has been broken. He will heal every sickness. He will make everything right that has gone wrong. And he has demonstrated that, his capacity to do that by raising Jesus from the dead. And so Paul's saying that if you want to be considered righteous by God, place your trust in God's power to raise the dead. And God is basically saying, I can do something with that. That's a relationship that I can work with. If if we were to kind of reframe this away from a banking metaphor into a more resurrection type metaphor, Basically, Paul is asking us to trust God in the same way that we would trust a doctor. You know, if you go to the doctor and you're highly skeptical of them, if you think that they have impure motives, if you think they don't know what they're doing, you know, if they prescribe some medicine and you're like, man, that, that medicine's not going to do anything for me. You know, I'm like, why would I pay $50 for this prescription? You know, this, this medicine is worthless. Well, the doctor really can't do anything for you. He can't actually start making right what has gone wrong in your body. And so this issue of faith and trust is God will actually see you as someone in right relationship to him if you're like a patient who trusts the doctor. And he says, I can work with that. I can make progress in that patient. This is someone who's in a right relationship with me. And that, that's really what, what Paul's getting at here. And 
the, the reason why I, I want to hone in on this term credited, this inaccurate translation, and the way we use it is because it kind of it kind of blocks our view of what Paul is trying to highlight for us, which is we have to come to a place, if you want God to, to see you as being righteous in your relationship to him, you have to start trusting him in his power to make things right in your life. So basically, if things are going poorly in our life, or even if they're going okay, but God has told us, hey, I have this for you ahead. Or even if we're hurting and he needs to take something out of us or to cut something out that is hurting us, kind of like a doctor would do surgery. Even if it's in these types of situations, what you're saying is if we are trusting that he can walk with us and that he can work things out, that he can make things right, that are wrong, that's what this is talking about. Our trust in him, our belief that he can do it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a doctor who has a lot of patients who don't trust him, and he's really just wanting to find a, a patient who uh, has the right attitude, who has the right posture when they come into the doctor's office. If, if you're that patient saying, well, well, what kind of patient does God want me to be? And Paul's saying, this is the kind of patient, if you want to be the right kind of patient with God, trust that he has the power to make things right, even raising us from the dead, but also even in this life, starting to make things right in us now uh, in a lot of different ways. So yeah, it's, it, it's all tied into like the here and now, but also the ultimate problem, which is death, Mm. that he can make that right as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a different way of looking at it than the whole credit accounting system of I have this debt and I I need to pay it off. Yeah, that, that whole metaphor, you know, even though Paul does use an economic metaphor there, he's not wanting to make this primarily an economic, you know, transaction between us and God. He's trying to frame this idea that God will make things right in our life based on our faith, not on us trying to work it out on our own without a doctor. He's like, you need the doctor. You need someone to raise you from the dead. And will you trust him and allow him to do that? Will you open yourself up and let him operate on you? Let him diagnose you? So yeah, there's, there, there's definitely a lot going on there. But we get kind of bogged down when we get stuck on this economic framework. So, you know, he's, he's definitely not going to build a lot on that economic framework. As you see later in chapter 4, the economic framework doesn't even show up. All right, well, let's, let's keep reading here. I'll, uh, we got two more verses, uh, three more verses, 6 through 8. He's brought up Abraham, and now he's going to shift gears to David. And he says, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes, there's that word, logismai, which I would say considers. So let's, let's uh, read this with using the word considers. Uh, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God considers righteous apart from works. In other words, this is something that's happening in God's mind in God's view of us. 
Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Okay, now who's doing the forgiving? Well, that would be God. And forgiveness takes place in the mind of the one who has been sinned against. But the blessing is when that person tells you, I have forgiven you. And then that is then a blessedness that you receive. Because to be forgiven of something means that you are no longer held accountable to pay that back or to make it right. And this is really a blessing because if you really think about it, um, there's things that we do against God and other people that even if we wanted to make it right, we actually can't make it completely right. The damage has been done, and we can try to make it right, but we can't completely restore everything that has been taken by us in that relationship. And so being forgiven and released from that obligation is, is, truly a, is to truly be blessed. And he goes on and says, And whose sins are covered, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. There's that word again, logizomai. And we could probably better translate that as, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not recognize sin. In other words, if you've truly forgiven someone, it means you have released them from the obligation of addressing the sin that they committed against you. And so there's a blessedness that, and Paul's tying this into being righteous, being made right in a relationship. So, you know, we we all know that experience when we sin against someone and they know it, and they know that we know that there's friction in that. You're not in right relationship with them. And really, you're at their mercy as to whether or not they're going to forgive you, whether or not they're going to release you from that debt. Uh, So, you know, in order to be in right relationship with someone, there's going to have to be forgiveness. And so Paul's kind of hitting these two issues of whether or not you believe in God's promise and whether or not God will forgive you when you sin against him. And this is all a part of being righteous in a relationship. And for someone to forgive you, that's not something that you do. It's something that they do, which means, again, you're receiving this as a grace. It's not something that you can earn. But we'll just kind of wrap it up here with this thought because we're going to jump back into the story of Abraham next week in Genesis 17 and circumcision, and, and then we'll jump back up to Romans 4 again. But one of the reasons why this, I think, is really important is, you know, in a penal substitution understanding of atonement, um, God doesn't actually see us. He sees Jesus and his righteousness And it's almost like God is fooled into accepting us or loving us because, you know, Jesus secretly, you know, made a deposit into our account. And here comes God unknowing, you know, checks our account. Wow, they've got a full balance. I guess I guess they're okay. I guess I'll move on to the next person. The reason why Paul brings up David here is that God actually does see our sin, which is why he forgives us. And he chooses to interact with us, 
not on the basis of him not seeing our sin, but on the basis of him forgiving our sin. And this is really important because when you talk about being in relationship with someone, if you feel like they don't actually see you, who you really are, and where you currently are in your journey, you don't really have a relationship with them. They're, you're not, they're not actually interacting with you. They're interacting with your fake profile that is somehow propped up by another person. And so getting this term right has implications for how we understand God's relationship with us. That when it says that he sees us, he really does see us. But he also sees what he's going to make us. Just like when a parent looks at their child, they see them in their current state, but they also see what they're going to become. They see their potential. And this comes out later in chapter 4 where God sees Abraham who doesn't have any kids, and yet he sees him as a father. And it's not that God didn't see Abraham with no kids. He did see him as being childless. He saw that part of Abraham. But he also saw Abraham's future, and he was willing to call Abraham a father even though he didn't have any kids. And in that same way, God sees us as being righteous even though we're not yet righteous. It's because he sees what we will be in Christ at the resurrection. Everything will be made right. Everything will be healed. And apparently God has no problem calling things that are not as though they were because he knows what the future is going to be. So he he does see us, and yet he chooses to see us like a parent sees their children in all of their potential, in all of their future. And he knows how to hold those two things in tension, uh, the reality and the potential. That was a great wrap-up, Tim. So we will close it out here. And if you guys have any questions or any comments, please go to the podcast notes, and there you will be able to find a link that will take you to our podcast page where you can, you know, leave us a, a question or a comment. Really appreciate you listening today. And we will catch you next time.